listening to Sprout Money's Monthly Wrap-Up with Craig Hamke. Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Sprott Money News Monthly Wrap-Up Series. I'm your host, Craig Hemke. It is now the end of November 2021, and our guest this month is Joe Mazumdar, who is the publisher of Exploration Insights. Always great to hear from Joe, and of course, if you're in the mining sector, all the help you can get is uh, always going to be a good idea to see your way through what are uh, good companies, maybe not so good companies, um, and you, again, any experience cans you can have on deck to help you see your way through, that's a great idea, and Joe is certainly that. Joe, thank you so much for spending some time. Thanks very much, Craig. I appreciate it. Hey, before we get to expiration instances, I want to remind everybody, this content is sponsored by Sprott Money. So anytime you're in the market for precious metals, if you're looking for some gift ideas for the kids, the grandkids, Go to SprottMoney.com. Always keep that on your list of places to check when you're adding physical precious metal. And again, we always appreciate you listening and submitting your questions in these for these uh, programs that Sprott Money produces. If you enjoy today's monthly wrap up or any of our other segments, Ask the Expert, the precious metals projections that we do with Christopher Mullen, be sure to subscribe, like, maybe share that information on whichever channel you're listening to. It helps us get the word out and uh, cast a wider net and let people know about the value of precious metals. There's great value at Exploration Insights. Uh, Joe, tell everybody a little bit about what you do there. Oh, Exploration Insights, uh, it's a weekly uh, newsletter about what I'm buying and selling in the uh, mining sector. And also we pull out a few thematics uh, that uh, we see happening in the sector, whether it's M&A or trends in commodities. So it's it's precious metals, it's uh, it's industrial commodities uh, so we we, we uh and, and then in stage we do anything from exploration up to production but the focus really is on pre-production and again i, I always tell people at my site you know if, if you're going to invest in the mining series you need all the help you can get because unless you're an expert like eric sprott you can read all these reports yourself which i am not uh it's always good to have um experienced wise, smart people on your side. And obviously, Joe Mazumdar, Exploration Insights. Um, I can give that a big thumbs up, at least from my end. Uh, Joe, we've been collecting questions for you for the last couple of weeks. So I've got some of those we'll get to eventually. But this is the monthly wrap-up. So we want to talk about what has happened here in November. It's been a crazy month. You know, it started with the November FOMC meeting when the FOMC announced they were going to start tapering their QE programs. Then about a week later, we had these massive inflation numbers in the U.S. and the precious metals just shot higher. And then about a week ago, uh, Powell was renominated to uh, run the Fed another four years. And all of a sudden, everybody starts thinking that there's going to be rate hikes instead next year and a, an accelerated taper and everything just comes crashing back down. But the shares at least have rallied and hung in there and kind of held some support. Uh, it's been a crazy month. Uh, what what do you see and what do you see going forward? It, it, it's the, the problem I think that people have right now is, is trying to predict the near term uh, because, you know, we, we call inflation initially transitory, which it doesn't appear that it is. And and for for me, uh, just looking at precious metals uh, with gold, the the one thing that I really look at is 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 not the absolute uh, real rate, whether it's negative or positive, but the trend. 
And uh, so if there's a negative trend in real rates that they continue to decline, gold fun gold is where uh, investors tend to want to be in. And so if inflation basically rises higher, then the Fed is willing to uh, raise rates, um, real interest rates could still decline. And so gold would still be something that uh, you know investors should be looking at. But right now it's it's whether inflation is transitory and then suddenly it'll it'll abate in a year once we get over our supply chain issues, or is it something you know like la- uh, related to like labor rates that might be more long term, such that you know it might not go away anytime. Uh, soon. And if it doesn't go anyway, anytime soon, and uh, interest rates aren't raised at the same pace, then I could see negative rates, real rates still declining, which I think in the end would still be good for gold. Yeah, you know, and in the meantime, it is, it's been that's all part of what's been such a frustrating year is uh, the market believes those real rates that are so sharply negative are transitory, just like inflation. And, and so we've had this period where the gold price is, I mean, it's down $100 year to date, but yet inflation has soared. And that seems to be a rather toxic mix for margins and profits at the, the producing miners. You see it that way? Yeah, well, what we saw that in the uh, S&P 500 last week, you know, the plunge in the S&P and, and, and some of that related to the fact that, you know, uh, that if interest rates rise, discount rates you know, are higher that that way the, the the valuations should be less. And but what 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 we also notice is the S and P five hundred in terms of price earnings ratio is trading right now higher than it was pre COVID. So uh, some investors are looking for a reason to sell as well, thinking that the P and E ratios are, are are quite high and there's nothing else to invest in. So you know uh, they took some money off the table. When 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 Omicron came out, the, the the new variant that was identified in South Africa, a new COVID variant brings in another, you know, wrench into the machine with respect to saying, you know, will we still get the global growth that we're talking about? We're rebounding post COVID. Is COVID over? And what are the implications of that? And I think that's another thing that the market is trying to understand. How how is that going to work? Are we going to completely shut down again or is something else going to happen? Yes, that's exactly right. And it makes you wonder about these supply chain issues. I mean, they're already as screwed up as it is. Um, Yeah, well, we're up here in uh, like where I am in British Columbia and Vancouver, we're getting impacted, obviously, by the weather. And so we're having supply chain issues right now because of highways being cut off. And also, you know, in terms of um, supply of uh, certain goods and services that come from the interior, but also stuff that from the port of Vancouver that's supposed to be going, you know, to the interior. We've got all that happening right now, which is raising local inflation rates. Yeah. Joe, let's just in kind of a bigger picture, uh, you know, everybody, the whole world these days lives, you know, almost minute to minute, you know, and especially investing, it's all about momentum. And I don't want to be having any money there when I can make 5% in a day, you know, in some, you know, meme stock. Um but it would seem as if there there's a continued movement, particularly here in the U.S., you know, infrastructure spending, 
uh, all sorts of things that augur for higher commodity prices in the not only you know months to come, but years to come. Do you see that as well? And does that kind of factor into the analysis that you do? Yeah, I mean, the thing is that there's trading like you're talking about that 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 links a lot into the fear of missing out on a on a, you know, a a, a micro trend that you might see in the market right now. Uh, but then in the long term, medium to long term, what you see is that with infrastructure requirements, also with the idea of of, of having a, a carbon neutral economy, which requires a lot of these metals that, uh, you know, help reduce people's greenhouse gas emissions, you know, those metals have to be mined before they can actually be put into a car or put into wherever. And if they're not mined, then, you know, you've got a world that you're hoping to get to in 2050 that, that if you don't do anything before, I don't know how you're going to get there. And that's really uh, the issue with a lot of these plans to get to carbon neutral by 2050 is there, well, what are the plans in between? Like what what else are we doing to ensure that, hey, if we do have massive penetration with these electric vehicles, you know, where is the power going to come from? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, uh, where where is the nickel going to come from? Where's the copper going to come from? You know, where's and, and if we don't switch, if the penetration's not that quick, you know, where are we going to get the palladium from? And then layer that layer supply chain issues onto that, you know, uh, with freight and everything like that. And then put on geopolitical risks like, you know, some countries going, hey, you know, I don't want to export this anymore because I need it for myself, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then knowing that, you know, in, in, in China, you know, uh, you know, a lot of the refining of the metals and the, and the actual uh, products that are required uh, for the future are actually happening in Asia, especially in China. So, you know, we got to think about the fact that, you know, we could produce more copper, you know, in North America, you know, Mexico, Canada, and China, you know, and South America as well, all the Americas, we could produce more copper, but the refining capacity is in Asia, not here. Oh boy. So we can only get so far. And so the problem is that, you know, one in, in North America, specifically in Canada and Mexico, well, specifically in the States, I would say, it's not easy to permit anything. Okay, so Mm -hmm. you could talk about electric vehicles, you could talk about all this other stuff. But in the end, that material, those products that you need to build these vehicles is going to come from Asia and mostly from China. And if they stop wanting to give it to you, you know, I don't know how you're going to actually build these things if you don't actually produce those kind of products locally. Right. And and until, you know, the states and, uh, you know, starts permitting not only the mining projects, but also the refining capacity and the downstream capacity. I don't know how they get there if we layer on these geopolitical issues and supply chain issues that we already see right now. Yeah. Well, let's kind of segue that into the first of of some of the questions that were sent into us uh, for you. Again, anytime we have guests here on the Sprott Money podcast, you can always use the email address submissions at SprottMoney.com and send stuff in. Um, and uh, we had a couple of questions about uranium. You know, the uh, Sprott Inc. has taken over that big uranium trust. They've been buying all kinds of physical uranium. Um, and, and again, you've touched on this when you're talking about electric vehicles. You know, it's not like you just wave a magic wand every night and the thing recharges. That 
power. That energy has got to come from somewhere. And uh, uranium, you would, is kind of coming back, I don't want to say into vogue because, you know, probably one, one more Fukushima away from shutting down reactors again. But it certainly seems that there is a bull market building in uranium. And so we had several questions for you about, are, are there uranium companies, uranium miners, uranium royalty companies, things like that, ways that you can get involved in that sector that you know of? Oh, yeah, there's 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 plenty of uranium companies from exploration to production that are highly levered to uranium prices coming back to over 50 bucks, which is really what a lot of companies need to actually uh, come back into profitable production, talking about double digit returns from uh, 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 capital invested. Um, there's a lot of companies. Like one I own that's done really well has been Energy Fuels. That's you know U.S. based, small producer, but a lot of permitted capacity that requires that higher uranium price to come into production. Uh, you know they're one they're one of several like that. You know or you know and if or if you Cameco that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But the the thing is that it, what Sprott had done was. You know that that spot market, and they tightened up the spot market for a while. That 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 you know shot the price up to fifty bucks. And 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 the, the the issue is that a lot of those inventories are not held in a open market, but more so by the nuclear power plants or by other producers that are holding back supply because they don't want to sell it into a thirty dollar or thirty five dollar world. So. You know that my question still is is how much global inventory there is out there. Yeah. So once we start seeing global inventory declining, and then long-term contracts being signed that have a, an equitable price in it for the producer to generate a decent return, like fifty dollars plus, I think that's really when the market turns. Uh, in in terms of uh, uranium uh, uh, producers, that's really where it turns. What Sprott had done sort of put a little bit of testosterone into that market short term, but whether that leads into draining enough, you know, global inventories to force these uh, nuclear power plants to start uh, signing long-term contracts, that hasn't been the case yet. That's really what I would look for is like when I start seeing long-term contracts being signed yeah. for at a price that's reasonable for, for these producers to actually generate uh, free cash flow. Uh, and then in the U.S. specifically uh, for companies like Energy Fuels uh, and others, you know, the strategic stockpile, when does the U.S. start actually buying that uranium that they said that they were going to buy and at what price? And, you know, it gets back to what we talked about earlier, Joe. I mean, this is five and 10, 15 year kind of stuff, you know, to build new uh, nuclear power plants or whatever, you know, all these different ideas for cleaner, you know, less carbon based energy. But yet people have a five, 10, 15 minute time frame on a lot of their trades. Oh, exactly. I mean, the thing is that, um, you know, you know, competition, whatever you want to call it, but but a you know a command economy like 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 China, they have you know a bunch of five year plans that rolls up into a twenty twenty five year plan, and so they're one of the biggest growth sectors for uranium consumption, and they know it. They're not going to wake up, 
you know, 30 years from now and say, oh, hey, geez, I need uranium. They're already building that up. And right. some of the operations and mines that they're that they're uh, that they're actually acquiring require fifty dollar uranium to be profitable. But the way they think is that I need the uranium, and by the time I need it, you know, it might be seventy bucks. Good point. Well, it's that is certainly uh, a sector that has been, like you said, got a shot of testosterone earlier this year. It'd be interesting sure. to see how that continues to play out. You mentioned another thing that was actually sent in and asked, uh, we had a question about, uh, and it's kind of roughly dovetails into this uh, ESG uh, component, you know, and, and um, companies that work with the local community, uh, the indigenous people to try to make sure, you know, that they're, uh, that they get their permitting done, you know, and that the business runs uh, as, as clean as possible how important is that as a factor going forward in determining, you know, the viability of, of mining companies or maybe more important, even exploration companies? Yeah, that, that's been a critical component of mining, uh, you know, for the last few decades, I would say. Um, like when, when we look at geopolitical uh, risk, we tend to look at it from a country level when it's really at a community level where the mine is, what it's impacting, not only where it physically is, but downstream of where it is. And, you know, issues like water, not only consumption, uh, but also, you know, potential contamination, power, where are you getting it from, you know, local inflation, you know, not only you're bringing jobs, are you, you know, rising the price of everything else for local communities? All of that matters because, you know, whatever the government's policies are federally or provincially or state, local opposition can, and we've seen this before, can easily kill projects. Like, you know, in my time with Newmont, you know, we had the Cerro Quilish project, an open pit heat bleach uh, in Cajamarca that, that was taken off of reserves because the local community was against it. More than five years later, uh, you know, we had the big uh, Conga copper gold project or multi-billion dollar capital investment, uh, you know, uh, proximal to Yanacocha uh, that basically Newmont took out of reserves because the locals were opposed to it. I mean, these two examples are specifically in Peru, but it's not only Peru. I mean, we see it, you know, in Arizona, for God's sakes. And, and you know, we saw it with Pebble, with Alaska. So these things can happen anywhere. So as an exploration company, when you come in, um, if you want to eventually get acquired and, and you don't have really good, uh, you know, social license to operate where you are, your chances of getting acquired, regardless of how good the asset is, um, the probability is pretty low because nobody, no big company wants to get stuck with that. Right. Yeah, Joe, that augurs into that. What I mentioned earlier, if you're going to be in this sector, you need help. Because how can you as an individual investor with all the other things that you're trying to process over the course of your day, understand what possible jurisdiction issues might be, you know, all the way down to the local level. Um, anyway, sir, sir, just another challenge that, that, I, that what you do obviously is helps to address. Um, Joe, we also had some questions specifically about some, some, uh, some specific names 
I, I asked Joe ahead before, just so people know, we asked some of the names that got sent and he didn't know anything about like Green Mountain Mining was one. And uh, we talked about Orcana, uh, not much about Wallbridge, just some companies that, that we did look at, but those aren't currently ones that Joe followed. But I, Joe, I want to, as, as we go to wrap up, hit you with some of these to get some of your thoughts. Um, one of them was High Gold. Is that uh, one you can address? Yeah, High Gold is one uh, I own in the letter, and it's a, uh, a HIGH on the venture, and it's also listed on the OTC. I'm not quite sure what the ticker is off the top of my head, but it's an exploration company that has a, a resource at a at a project uh, in in southeastern um, Alaska, which uh, was a project that was uh, formally drilled, very high grade. That uh, you know the company that was working it more than two decades ago was looking at actually direct shipping it uh, to um, uh, a plant in, in British Columbia. So that already tells you it's high grade, but the commodity yeah. prices at that time, you know, uh, it didn't work out, but, but they've drilled that, what they call the Johnson tract uh, area, JT deposit. It's, it's polymetallic, looks like a volcanogenic uh, massive sulfide deposit. And so they built up that resource and now they're looking for extensions of it. But importantly, this last summer, their biggest drill program in that area, uh, probably ever, uh, found other indications of mineralizations farther to the north, which is really what exploration and retail investors are looking at. You know, they value the known, but really it's the unknown and how you quantify the value of that. That's what Mm -hmm. drilling does. And they drilled some uh, veins up there and got really good intersections. And on the back of that, importantly, as junior miners don't have money and don't uh, make money, uh, they have to raise money. They raise capital on the back of that. So they're they're pretty well funded uh, for their next program as well. So uh, that's that, that it's well run. Uh, it's got a management team that's got a lot of experience in, in Alaska. Uh, I visited the project um, uh, last uh, last summer. And uh, one thing about Alaska, which was interesting, was they, uh, you know, usually when I go there, it's pretty dry around that time of year, but it was very wet. Uh, And so uh, companies around that area were having issues with uh, functioning, uh, you know, under those conditions. But, you know, these guys did manage to get their drill program done, probably a little bit smaller than they thought, but, you know, it it went well. And, uh, because of the assay, um, you know, issues that uh, that we've seen uh, throughout the industry. I mean, the, the the results have been slower to come out than than yeah. uh, than we'd like, but we should see more results coming out from this program as well. All right. Uh, how about a company called West Haven? Yeah, West Haven. I've owned before, and I've I've sold it. Uh, it it's got this uh, low sulfidation epithermal system that they discovered. Um, you know, not far from where we're we're actually uh, experiencing a lot of the flooding in Merritt, BC, in British Columbia. Um, so uh, I'm sure they're probably having a little bit of logistical troubles right now, as is Kodiak Copper, which is around the same area. But my problem with it that you know the drilling campaign, uh, you know, they did find something and and they did discover it, and they do have a resource. Well, they don't have a resource yet, but I uh, I calculated a resource which is less than a million ounces. Uh, but but what they really needed to do was find another one, and just like high gold or any of these countries, continually show 
that the project, uh, you know, the, the property has more upside and, and uh, th their drilling campaigns have, have, for me, not really mm. shown that they've got another one of these uh, resources along that same structure. And so I, I sold it, but, you know, a, a good team. I mean, it was a great discovery uh, uh, and all that. I, I guess I just got a little bit uh, uh, frustrated by the way the program was, was advancing. All right. How about Seabridge? Yeah, Seabridge is, is a very, I mean, if you want leverage uh, to the gold price um, uh, and a tight share structure, uh, definitely Seabridge offers that. But if you're looking at a development project that a major would want to acquire, you know, this, this is a big capital investment. I mean, I would put this, you know, well over the $5 billion ticket with respect to building, you know, tunnels through mountains and stuff yeah. like that. Um, and what we've seen on the M&A side of, you know, the trend has always has been uh, with the mid tiers and the majors is, is, um, is production uh, over development, over exploration. Production has been what people have been going for and like Newcrest, which, which operates now 80% stake, I believe, in the Red Chris uh, Copper Gold Project in the Golden Triangle. Um, they acquired Pretium, and that was, you know, an operating asset, 300 and whatever, 70,000 ounces a year, gold, British Columbia, uh, low carbon footprint. Um, and, and also with Agnico and Kirkland, again, acquiring production. Mm -hmm. So uh, um, it's hard for me to see people uh, acquiring development projects that need that much capital. And there's not, unless there's a lot of synergies with current operations, it's hard to see uh, uh, people acquiring like a, uh, a Greenfields uh, development project that requires that kind of capital. All right. And lastly, you mentioned Pretium. They, uh, what your thoughts on that? merger acquisition and then also if you think that that leads to more mergers and acquisition uh up in bc specifically well i guess like with with agnico and uh kirkland uh that acquisition put them probably in in the rarefied space you know more proximal to newmont and barrick in terms of being a major uh um producer in the in the gold sector um newcrest was was third until it was uh, uh, passed by Agnico Kirkland. The acquisition of Pretium puts them higher up, but puts Newcrest in fourth position in terms of valuation. But it's an easy add-on for them. Now that they uh, you know, put themselves truly in British Columbia, there are some potential synergies there with uh, treating some of that uh, 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 concentrate that they produce there, potentially at the plant at Red Chris and also with the logistics in the area. And also it adds 370,000 ounces of production all yeah, right now. Mm -hmm. uh, there is some exploration upside there, but really you're getting a low cost, you know, uh, a producer in British Columbia with a, a very low carbon footprint. And Newcrest has operations in places like Papua New Guinea, and other places that uh, uh, some investors might not like, you know, having more exposure to places like British Columbia would probably appeal uh, uh, to uh, new investors, potentially in Newcrest. 
it's kind of more specific to this deal than it ended up being in British Columbia than it is, hey, all of a sudden, let's let's all buy something in British Columbia. Well, I mean, a lot of the mining companies, especially the gold companies, they're looking at British Columbia, Ontario, you know, Canada as as a place to be because uh, one the infrastructure is pretty good permitting uh is is pretty transparent and projects do get permitted uh and and also it's uh you know uh, this is the kind of place investors uh want exposure to and so they are looking at assets here you know three projects are being big gold projects are being developed that are you know i would say are you know, marginal, um, you know, but, but in a $1,800 gold price, you know, they might work uh, like Argonauts, Magino, uh, um, Iron Gold's Cote, and now Equinox Hard Rock. Those are three, you know, big uh, open pit projects that are being built, have been permitted all in Northern Ontario with cheap power uh, being all hydro, uh, low carbon footprint. So that's kind of exposure that companies are looking at. Awesome. Again, this is all the, what you get from Joe Mazumdar at Exploration Insights. Joe, tell everybody again about uh, where do they find your work? Uh, it's explorationinsights.com. And uh, also, I, I just want to let uh, your listeners know that I've also got a podcast with Paul Harris of the Mining Journal, where we talk about certain uh, themes and, you know, one theme about uh, environmental social governance. We, we've, uh, we've got a podcast on. So uh, if you if you Google Joe and Paul's uh, uh, another mining podcast on YouTube, you you could find some of our products. So and, and they're free. You can just access them. And uh, yeah, great to hear uh, any feedback on those. Hey, that's fantastic. Again, just right on YouTube, right? That's right. That's right. And, and they could also get them from our website. Terrific. Terrific. And of course, you can always get updates, <clears throat> excuse me, direct from Sprott Money on the Sprott Money website, too. Sign up for the newsletter so that you don't miss any of the content. Again, whether it's calls like this or the Ask the Experts segment or the uh, what we'll record next month or next week, actually, with the Precious Metals Projections with Christopher Mullen. And as we get into December, we'll actually have an annual, a yearly wrap-up with a very special guest. And you'll want to make sure you don't miss that if you get my drift. Okay, everybody, thank you for listening. Joe, thanks so much for your time. Great. Thank you very much, Craig. And from all of us, it's Sprott Money News and SprottMoney.com. Thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your day.